Well, our Bible passage this morning is one that's often read at weddings. And it's not surprising, as as I've just seen in that little video clip, it's, it's one of the most beautiful descriptions of love. And it's what we would want every marriage to look like. But the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this chapter, he didn't initially write it to teach men and women who were desperately in love with each other how they could love each other better. Although, of course, we can apply it that way and it does teach us as married couples uh, so much. But that's not who Paul was writing to. Instead, he was writing to a church. And it was a church that was an absolute mess. They were tearing themselves apart over their favourite celebrity leaders. They were turning a blind eye to serious moral failures. They were suing each other in court. They were humiliating their poor members. And then they were boasting over how gifted they were. That church was in a mess. And yet it was into that situation that Paul wrote this amazing chapter. And he did it to challenge them right at the the very heart of the issues that that were in their church. And to call them to follow the way of love. And so, whatever the situation that we find ourselves in this morning, whether we're in a wonderful relationship, whether we're, we're here looking around and thinking how much we love each other, or whether we're struggling, this passage calls us all to follow in this way of love. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, this morning. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. So if you have a Bible, uh, please do look it out and, and look, look at it as we read it together. And Sandra's going to come up and she's going to read it to us. Thank you, Sandra. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I taught as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you very much, Sandra, for reading our passage this morning. Paul here was continuing to teach on the proper use of spiritual gifts. Remember, that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. The gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer to empower them and equip them to serve in Jesus' kingdom and to build up his church. But some people in that church saw those gifts as a status symbol. Ways to promote themselves and to put others down. So instead of developing and deepening their unity, they were being used to drive them further apart. And so at the end of chapter 12, Paul said, and now I will show you the most excellent way. There was a better way to function as a church. A better way to live as God's people. That is the way of love. And it was vitally important for this church to understand this. Because this was God's priority for them. The Corinthians, as a, as a church, they were impressed with eloquence and oratory. Maybe that's why one of their favourite spiritual gifts seems to have been the gift of tongues or other languages. And also why some of the people in that church didn't respect the Apostle Paul. Because, well, he wasn't the most impressive speaker, so they kind of looked down on him. But spiritual maturity is not proved by how well we speak or how well we pray. Paul said here that if he spoke eloquently in another human or even a heavenly language, but he did not have love, then he would be like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now as worshippers entered a pagan temple in those days, they would strike a large cymbal that was hanging at the entrance. It was a kind of like empty, pagan ritual. And Paul said that's what speaking without love is like. It's loud. Symbols are loud. A gong is a loud instrument. So it's loud. It's attention grabbing. But in the end it's empty. It's of no value. Maybe even offensive and annoying. If you've ever had a kid with a pair of symbols you'll realise how annoying that could be. This morning, we could do that. We could praise God in these beautiful songs that we've already started to sing this morning. We could pray eloquently. We could even preach captivating sermons. But if we fail to have love in our hearts, then all we end up doing is making an empty, meaningless noise. It grabs attention, but in the end it's just kind of irritating. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Without love, what we say is offensive. 
But also without love, what we know is useless. Our world is impressed with knowledge, isn't it? People put their their degree certificates up on the wall. Or the letters after their name. Others display their knowledge in, in pub quizzes. Or in quiz shows. Because it's fun to show that you know stuff that other people don't. Even in church we can be tempted to show off our knowledge of Bible verses or theology and, and show how much we know than others do. And knowing God's truth is really crucial. But Paul said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, I'm nothing. If we don't know love, what we do know is useless. The Pharisees in Jesus, they knew a lot about God. They could quote scripture in huge amounts. They could discuss the tiniest details of theology. But they missed God's love. Jesus said about them, Woe to you Pharisees! Because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all kinds of garden herbs. They were, they were, they were so careful to tithe even the tiny bits of their food. But you neglect justice and the love of God. They, they got all the tiny details, but they missed the big important part. So we could spend all our time reading the Bible. And studying it. And working out exactly what it says. We can ensure that our theology is correct. And our statement of faith is accurate. But if we don't have love. And if we don't express that love to those around us. Then our knowledge is useless. That's because whoever does not love. Does not know God. Because God is love. This is who He is. His essential character is love. So it's impossible to know God and not know love. Because God is love. So true knowledge of God should be seen in a life of love. Then thirdly, without love, what we do is worthless. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. We can have faith that moves mountains. Give all that we have to charity. Be the first to turn up at church and the last to leave. Be committed to speaking for Christ at every opportunity. Even sacrifice our very lives for the cause of Christ. But if this is not motivated by love, then Paul says all of that is worthless. I don't think he could write it any stronger, could he? A lack of love doesn't just reduce the value Of what we say, or know, or do. A lack of love removes it completely. 
Love is not an optional extra in the Christian life. It isn't a spiritual gift that that some people have, but not others. It's the very heart of the Christian life. It's the first fruit of the presence of God in our hearts. God wants everything that we do to be motivated and directed by love. As Paul says in Galatians 5, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So this is the priority of love. This is why it needs to be at the very heart of who we are and what we do. It doesn't matter how gifted or effective or impressive we are. Without love, what we say is offensive, what we know is useless, and what we do is worthless. But what does that love look like? What are the priorities or the properties of the love that Paul is talking about here? Well, it's, it's different from how the world thinks about love. And it seems that that's why the New Testament writers, when they spoke about love, when they wrote about love, they did not use the usual Greek terms for love. They chose an unusual and uncommonly used word for love. So they didn't use typically the word phileo, which is the warm friendship type of love. They didn't use the Greek word storge, which means a love or care within a family. And they didn't use the Greek word eros, which is the romantic, physical or sensual love. Instead they chose that less common word, agape. It seemed that they wanted to emphasise that when they were speaking about love, they were talking about a different kind of love. A love that's not defined by this world, but a love that's defined by Jesus. And his love for us. So Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. His love is the standard by which we're called to live by. And this is the kind of love that Paul described here in our passage. And he didn't do it by describing the emotion of love, or how love, what it feels like. To have that love. He didn't talk about that. Instead he, show, he, does, he, he, he describes the property of that love. By showing us. What love does. Or doesn't do. Because this is a love that's seen in action. Even in really tough situations. Like this church was going through at that time. So this church was struggling with division. They were fighting over and arguing and quarrelling with each other. So they needed to know how to cope when you find people difficult. And the answer is love. Because love is patient. It suffers long. It doesn't give way to things like bitterness or rejection or resentment. Or frustration. That doesn't mean that love just kind of passively puts up with people. Because love is also kind. 
It is actively seeking the good of others and expressing itself in compassionate action and in caring service. The Apostle John says, let us not love with, with, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Love should be seen in action because God's love is an active love. For God so loved the world that he wrote us a nice letter, said something nice to us, sent us a bouquet of flowers. Well, no. That he gave his one and only son. His love is action. And he wants our love to be actively expressed in that sacrificial giving of ourselves to others. Like Jesus' love expressed on the cross. This fellowship in Corinth were also struggling with rivalry. Some people were jealous of other people's gifting or their role in church. Others thought that they were superior because they had a prominent role in that church. So some people were looking down on themselves and some people were boosting themselves up. But Paul said that love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't envy about our successes or our possessions. It doesn't envy the success or possessions of others. And it doesn't boast about our own successes or our own victories. It doesn't seek its own prominence or its own glory. It doesn't try to make a name for itself. Instead, it enables us to rejoice in the achievements of others as well as humbly use our own gifts for the benefit of others. This church also needed help to handle their disagreements and their disputes without tearing themselves apart and even taking each other to court. So they needed love. That's because love enables us to speak with others with grace and gentleness. Because love is not rude. And it also helps us to consider the needs of others instead of demanding our own rights and our own desires and our own way because love is not self-seeking. And it also helps us not to lose our temper and retaliate when we're offended because love is not easily angered. It refuses to be provoked. It bites its tongue. It thinks before it speaks. And when issues are dealt with, well, they remain dealt with. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep that little secret account of all the failures. Wrongs and hurts are not stored up just to be brought up again when someone fails again and see, you've done it again for the hundredth time or the two hundredth time. Love wipes the slate clean. 
Because it forgives as we have been forgiven by God. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 says, when it forgives, it refuses to remember those sins anymore. Maybe we need to say, and when we do remember those sins, we forgive again and again and again. And it doesn't continue to look for reasons to cause disputes and division. It's not nitpicking, it's not hypercritical. Because love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It doesn't gossip because it gets no satisfaction with pointing out the the failures of others. Instead, it's pleased when the truth comes out. Because it seeks honest and open and authentic relationships. So this kind of love that Paul is speaking about here, it's not a sentimental or a romantic kind of love. It's not about loving people who are wonderful all the time, or who are like us, or who are always nice to us. Anybody can love like that. It's about loving others even when they're really difficult or when they're different from us or when they disagree fundamentally with us. This is a love that reaches out to those who don't deserve it, that forgives and restores relationships, that sacrifices itself for others. This is God's love. This is love, John says in his letter. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this love is also permanent. Verse 7, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Doesn't stop loving. Even when it's getting let down again and again and again. Why is that? Because that's how God loves us. God never stops loving us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Lord says in Jeremiah 31. So real love is a promise to always seek the good of others. No matter what. Real love lasts. It's eternal. Love never fails. It's because it's not a feeling. It's not based on our emotions. It's a choice, an act of will, a a decision to look out for the the needs of others and for their good. Love never fails. It's permanent. And in this way, 
It's different from the spiritual gifts that we were looking at over the last couple of weeks. Because they, those spiritual gifts, they're temporary. Look at verse 8. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. These gifts will stop. Because they are incomplete in the revelation of God. This is what Paul says in verse 9. We know in part and we prophesy in part. These gifts are amazing. They're wonderful gifts from God. But they enable us to understand more of the nature and the character of God and share that with others. So they're so amazing gifts from God. But they're limited in what they can do. They cannot give us a perfect picture of God. So Paul says in verse 12, Now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror. The city of Corinth was famous for the quality of its bronze mirrors. But even the best of mirrors cannot reflect images perfectly. They all reflect those images imperfectly. So even the best and the the most able use of spiritual gifts only reflects the nature and character of God poorly. They give a glimpse, an insight, but not a full picture. But Paul says in verse 10, when perfection comes, then the imperfect disappears. So when is that? When does the the perfection come? That's one of the the controversies that's in this passage or in this this book that we'll be looking at. Some people think that this perfection comes when the New Testament was completed. When the canon of Scripture was completed. When the book of Revelation, which most people assume is the last book of of the New Testament to be written. When that was written, then the perfection has come. So they believe that today, some of those spiritual gifts have ceased. They've stopped. Because they're no longer needed. Because we don't need them, because we have the Bible. And the Bible is perfect. But I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here in this chapter. Instead, the perfection that Paul was talking about is when Jesus comes back. And takes us to be with him forever. Then, Paul says, we shall see face to face. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. And so in that day, in the day when we meet Jesus, in the day when we are transformed finally and fully, we will put childish ways Behind us. We'll no longer need spiritual gifts because we'll no longer need those imperfect revelations of who Jesus is. Because praise God, we will be like Him. And we will see Him as He is. So you can be thankful you won't need to come to church and listen to a guy speaking up the front. You won't need that gift anymore. You won't need that experience. It's going to be heaven, isn't it? So spiritual gifts are temporary. They're for now. But not for then. 
But that's not the case with love. Because love will remain. Verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith will remain because only those who have trusted in Jesus will be in heaven with him. Hope will remain because we have the joyful and expectant anticipation of all the good things that God has laid up for us for eternity. But more than anything else, heaven will be a place of love. Love is the greatest because it's the core of life in heaven. It's what heaven is all about. Now we get little glimpses, little tastes, little previews or trailers of God's love for us. But there, we'll be saturated in His love. We'll experience the fullness of God's love. We'll love God and love each other forever. I'm sure you can hardly wait. It'll be a great day when we experience that. But this is what God wants us to increasingly live in today. Yes, we'll not arrive in love until that day when we see Jesus face to face. But God's desire is that we'll increasingly push into that love more and more each day. So Paul prayed uh, to the, uh, his prayer to the, for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May your love increase and overflow. That's God's goal for us. To grow in this love that we've been talking about this morning so that we'll become more and more like Jesus. But do you ever think that feels completely impossible? Do you ever think that's just beyond us? Do you think we just can't do this on our own? Our love is far too weak, far too fragile. When you read this chapter, we read love is patient and kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. Doesn't feel like it's describing our love. We're not like that. We can't live that life, can we? Well, not on our own. But thank God, we are not on our own. As Paul has said, reminded us of in this letter, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are not on our own. We're not left to our own devices. We're not called to live this Christian life in our own strength, in our own abilities. We have been filled and baptized and and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit living within us every single day. And as Paul said in Romans 5, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So God is not asking us to go and just try a bit harder. You know, just through willpower, just be a bit more loving. 
Instead, he's asking us just to be a channel of his love. To connect with his love for us, expressed on the cross. And then to let that love overflow out of our hearts and out to everyone else around us. This is the love that God wants to grow in our lives. This is the fruit of his Holy Spirit within every believer. So this is God's priority for our lives. He wants us to love with the properties of this love expressed to us in His Son. And He wants us to keep on loving because His love is permanent and never ending. And this is possible. Because by His Spirit, God is working in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. So whatever else we do as a church, let's do all that we can to make sure that we follow in the way of love.